official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com. We're starting a new series, as Adam mentions. We're going to be spending 14 weeks going through the Sermon on the Mount. And so if you open up your Bible, and if you have some red letters there, you'll see there's actually three chapters of red letters, which is not something we get to do very often, where we just get to sit and soak in three chapters of uh, Jesus's words. And so I am excited. Uh, these are f- the Sermon on the Mount is found in chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew's gospel. There's a shorter version found in Luke, but we're doing 14 weeks, so we're using Matthew's account. And uh, there are lots of great reasons we're, lo- we're going to be looking at this section of Matthew's gospel known as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it, it's an incredible account of Jesus's invitation to follow him. Uh, and it's a, a great description of how to live a Christ-centered life because we see uh, that Jesus is inviting all sorts of people into the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. He says he's announcing the gospel of the kingdom of God. And then he gives this amazing sermon on how we are to live a Christ-centered life in the kingdom of God. So there's all of this good, there are all these good reasons why we want to spend time in this. But also, it's my prayer, my personal prayer, that as we begin this series, that we're captivated by the person of Jesus, that we're captivated maybe for the first time or maybe again by the magnitude of his grace, of his compassion, and his love for each of us. So uh, we're going to be looking at these teachings of Jesus these collections of teachings known as the Sermon on the Mount. But the best outcome for me is not to just come away with an understanding of how Jesus viewed the world and maybe his moral or ethical framework or how to live. But to me, the best outcome we can walk away is getting to know the teacher himself. Um, And so I'm excited about that. I know uh, this week I got a little bit of a late start to my sermon uh, preparation than normal because of the holidays, but also because just sitting with the words of Jesus, uh, I spent a little bit more time doing that than normal because I think these words of Jesus are electrifying, they're powerful, they're subversive, they're, they're um, shocking, they're brilliant. And uh, just sitting uh, at the feet of Jesus with these words has been personally uh, great for me this week. So hopefully we get to all experience a little bit of uh, Jesus and get to know him a little bit more over these next 14 weeks. So as always, we begin with a little bit of context, right? Because it's important to understand the context. So I have the first verse of uh, Matthew chapter 5 here is Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus saw the crowds. So there's crowds. He went up to the mountain and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. So this kind of sets up the beginning of chapter five. Matthew is the author of Matthew. Imagine that. And he's recording these teachings of Jesus. And he places, Matthew Matthew places chapter five immediately after what chapter? Chapter four. Y'all are awake this morning. I love it. I love it. He places it immediately after chapter four. And and, uh, each of the gospel writers, they 
they had larger themes and ideas they were trying to communicate than just the individual ideas or themes that they would communicate in a story or teachings of Jesus. And so I want to jump back a little bit so we can understand the context of Matthew chapter 5 through 7 because it kind of sets up, Matthew sets up the sermon on the Mount in chapter 4. Now you you have to know as well that um, in the original manuscript, authors in the ancient world they didn't use chapters to break up streams of thought. They actually used other kind of linguistic devices to show that they're transitioning to another thought. And we have one of those devices in Matthew chapter 4. It's called a, a summary statement. And we see this at the end of chapter 4, and we see this at the end of chapter 9. And so we're jumping into this big section, chapter 5 through 9. We're going to be looking at 5 through 7. So Matthew chapter 4 we have uh, this summary statement. So the whole thing is there on the screen for you. Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, and healing every kind of sickness and disease, and, and, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. The news about him spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him, all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So this, there's this context here, right? We start with Jesus is announcing the good news of the kingdom of God, that all sorts of people are now invited into the kingdom of God. And somehow in Jesus, this thing that Jesus called the kingdom of God is now present and available. And he's inviting people into the kingdom of God. And we also see that there are all sorts of people who are invited into this kingdom, right? And this sets, up the, this sets up the Sermon on the Mount, who this audience is that's actually listening to Jesus's words. What do we see here? Can, you, can we go back and put that slide back up real quick? We see all sorts of people, the sick, the poor, uh, demoniacs, people who are troubled by evil spirits, crazy people, those who are having seizures. And then we see this from, from Matthew, which I just think is brilliant. Those from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and then he says, and from beyond the Jordan. I believe like the, the, in the Greek that translates like a, just a mishmash of people, right? Just a mishmash of people. So all sorts of people who are, these are the types of people who are gravitating towards Jesus. It's a mishmash, diverse people who are religious, people who are not religious, people who are on the fringes, those who have been outcast, uh, those who are marginalized, those who are unimportant, those who are viewed as insignificant in society, the losers, the, those who are pathetic, those who are lame, literally paralyzed, those who are sick, those who are hurting. These are the people who are uh, coming to Jesus to follow him. These are the crowds. And this is, this is the audience I believe Jesus is instructing in the Sermon on the Mount. So remember the Sermon on the Mount begins with Jesus seeing the crowds and he goes up on a mountain and it says his disciples uh, are, are coming to him. What is a disciple? A disciple is one who is following Jesus. And 
Matthew just let, let us know of all these types of people who are following Jesus. We find out a little bit earlier in the book that there's four fishermen, uneducated fishermen, who have come to follow. They're following Jesus as disciples. He's, he's called them. Uh, but, but actually, the forming of the 12 disciples, which is normally what we think about when we read about Jesus' disciples in scriptures, Matthew doesn't record that happening until chapter 10. So, for now, we have these crowds of people who are following Jesus, this mishmash of people. And uh, they're kind of all together following Jesus. So a um, little bit about that, that audience as we think about this previous slide. Um, it's, it's important for us to, to recognize that because it kind of sets up how we understand and interpret the rest, all the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, which is why we're taking time to do that today. Uh, lastly, I want to briefly show you the conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' final words. We'll spend some time looking at that later because it gives us insight into how we are to read the Sermon on the Mount. This is uh, chapter 7, verse 24 and 28. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. When Jesus had finished these words, the, crowd, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. So Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount by calling his followers to do what he has taught. So just a quick summary of that intro context set up for the Sermon on the Mount. It's an introduction not only to the teaching, teachings of Jesus, but it's an opportunity for us to see him for who he is and to get to know him and to follow him. Uh, 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 the audience is a mishmash of people with an emphasis on those who are on the outside, the unimportant, the insignificant, the poor, the hurting, the sick, the lame, uh, the marginalized. So there's an emphasis on that by placed on those people by Matthew. And lastly, the potency of the Sermon on the Mount is contingent upon us doing what has been taught. So we have Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be uh, starting the next two weeks spending some time in what's known as the Beatitudes. And I'm going to invite Flora up because she is going to read from Matthew 5. Uh, Matthew 5, 1 through 12. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Thank you, Flora. Awesome. The Beatitudes. So these are some of Jesus's most well-known words, right? How many of you have heard these before? And uh, we have this word blessed, right? This is where, where Jesus starts his sermon on the mount. It's where he begins 
the Beatitudes as well with this word blessed or blessed, if you are getting down with the KJV, right? And there's something powerful, there's something moving about these words of Jesus. They've, they've captivated people for the last couple thousand years, but they can also kind of become kind of rote to us, right? They can kind of come across as like feel-good sayings. Like Jesus said these things and they kind of make us feel good, but we're not exactly quite sure uh, what they mean. And I think a lot of that hinges on this word blessed of like, what is this word? We kind of start there of like, what does this word blessed even mean? Um, so I have a video I want to show you. Uh, I, I'm just going to set up the context for it briefly. How many of you have uh, watched the HBO show Hard Knocks? Hard Knocks? So a few of us. Essentially, Hard Knocks is, uh, it's like an eight-week series or something like that. It's really short. And they go behind the scenes on an NFL team in great detail in training camp. And they're kind of going over like the inside workings of how an NFL franchise is run. This past season, they did the Cleveland Browns. Any Browns fans in the room? No, that is a, that is a curse. If you're a Browns fan, <laughs> blessed are those who are not Browns fans. So I'm going to introduce you to one of my favorite players on the Browns. His name is Jarvis Landry, and he has an affinity for this word bless. So uh, we're going to watch that clip. I like when you get mad. I ain't going to touch you. Bless him. Bless him. Bless him. Go ahead and bless him. Bless him. Bless him then. Every DB, every defense, bless him. So bless him is pretty much, you know, you know, God bless us with his ability. God gave us this uh, give us this ability to be a blessing to other people. You know, so it's no different than coming out here and going against a DB. You gotta bless him. You know, it ain't gotta be Sunday for them to get to work. That's all it is. That's all it is. Go ahead and bless him then. Go ahead and bless him then. Bless him. Bless him. God gave us this for a reason. Bless him. Go ahead and bless him then. Bless him. We're going to bless him. That's it. That's it. Bless him. Bless him. That's it. I, uh, I think about that video a few times a week, probably more, more than I should. Just bless him. Just bless him. That's all I'm here for is just bless him. Bless them. So we have this word blessed. We have bless them. And <laughs> they're like, what, where is he going to go with this? I just wanted to show you Jarvis Landry <laughs> blessing them. But really, like Jarvis Landry, like his, his bless them just kind of makes me feel good. But I'm not sure even after watching the clip and even after he explains, you know, like it just... God has given us the ability, and we're going out, and we're just going to bless those DBs, even if it's not Sunday, right? I'm still, I'm not quite sure how he's using the word bless him, but I like it. I think we kind of approach these uh, blessed of Jesus, right? These beatitudes in a similar way of, yeah, like they kind of make us feel good, but we're not exactly sure what they mean. So I want to start there a little bit with this word Blessed. Bless is the Greek word makarios, makarios. And 
Some people translate it happy or fortunate, um, but if you dig a little bit deeper and you actually find that this word has a root in the Hebrew scriptures, it's a word that simply means this word blessed. All throughout scriptures, it kind of means like God's favor is upon you. God is with you. God is on your side. So this is kind of another way for us to think about this word blessed, okay? Blessed is God's favor is upon you. God is with you. God is on your side. And so uh, we have Jesus uh, pronouncing blessed, blessed to the crowds, right? And uh, it's a proclamation and a word that's actually deeply rooted in Jewish thought. And we actually find that this word is deeply rooted in the Hebrew scriptures as well. The pronouncement of blessings uh, has a root in Hebrew, in the Hebrew scriptures. And so uh, we look at places, scriptures like the Psalms, right? We can think of the Psalms as a place where blessed is the type of pronouncement that we experience. I have a few examples on the screen for us. Psalm chapter one, verse one through two. The beginning of the song starts with this type of pronouncement. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the paths of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. So the Psalms begin with a blessed type of announcement. This is something we see all throughout Scripture, again, I want to show another psalm as well, Psalm 119, a psalm we are all very familiar with. How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. And so when you say someone is blessed in Scripture, you're saying that something, a type of person, it's held up as admirable, as like an admirable model of someone who is blessed by God. God likes you. He's for you. His favor is upon you. God is with you. God is on your side. And so when we see that in scripture, we see this word blessed used in that way to hold up an admirable type. It's a type of someone who has a trait or a characteristic of someone who's blessed, favored by God. So uh, the Hebrew scriptures gives us this model. Jesus' original audience would have understood this original model of blessed. But we also see that uh, this way of teaching and talking about who God favors, it actually continues out of the Old Testament. And it was actually a way of teaching that uh, teachers around the time of Jesus would have created their own set of lists. And they would use it in the same way to kind of uphold other ideals or things they found admirable about those who were blessed by God. So the other teacher, teachers during Jesus's day would have done this. So Jesus's audience would have been well-versed with uh, this idea of blessed, blessed. So I want to show us a few examples of how a couple other teachers would have used this type of teaching, this type of proclaiming uh, around the time of Jesus's life because their teachings actually shaped the, the cultural imagination of Jesus's own audience who heard his blessing. And I actually think it helps us understand 
the shocking, brilliant, provocative nature of Jesus's words when we contrast them. Because at first, they kind of seem like Bible. They kind of seem like Jesus. But when we dig a little bit deeper, we're going to see how they're not really like Jesus's. And then we're going to finish with Jesus's words. So I want to show y'all a few of those examples. The first is, uh, is actually from a collection of writings found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Y'all familiar with the Dead Sea Scrolls? I have a terrible picture of this manuscript. It's from Google, and it's not very high quality. Uh, so you can stick with me. Uh, and the Dead Sea Scrolls were written by a, a community of people. They're Jewish, uh, but they actually believed that they were the only group of Jewish believers who were observing and following Torah properly. They believed essentially that they were the only group who was blessed God, and they believed this so much because they believed that the rest of Judaism, the rest of the world is going to hell in a handbasket, that they isolated themselves from the rest of the community, the rest of the world, and they wrote a, ser- a bunch of, they br- wrote, wrote a bunch of literature, and we actually find that in one of the scrolls, they actually have their own set of beatitudes. Some of, some of the writings are really weird and some are not, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read an example from this manuscript. Blessed is the one with a pure heart who doesn't slander with his tongue. Blessed are those who adhere to the commands of the Torah and who do not adhere to perverted paths. Blessed are those who rejoice in wisdom and who do not run to the paths of folly. Blessed are those who search for wisdom with pure hands and do not pursue her with a treacherous heart. Blessed is the man who attains wisdom and walks in the law of the Most High. So at first it kind of sounds a little bit like the Bible, but remember that this is, uh, this is a community who believes that they were the only ones who were doing this right. They're the only ones who are being blessed, finding favor. So for that community, this set of teachings was their way of holding up their highest ideals. One last example of this type of teaching, talking that Jesus is audience would have been familiar with. This is from uh, one of the most famous Jewish teachers of his day. He lived about 150 years before Jesus, and his name was Jesus too. His name was Jesus ben Sira, or uh, Jesus the son of Sira. And he wrote a famous collection of teachings. Uh, They're called the Wisdom of ben Sira. And it was preserved in kind of Jewish and Christian communities. And uh, one of the most famous poems in this collection of writings by Jesus, Ben Sira, was a collection of his blessings, a collection of his blessings. Uh, So we have Jesus pronouncing blessings 150 years before Jesus pronouncing blessings. So uh, this is from the, the wisdom of Ben Sira. Blessed is the man who can rejoice in his children. Blessed is the one who sees the downfall, we have this as well, awesome, of his foes. Blessed is the one who does not sin with his tongue. Blessed is the one who does not serve an inferior. Blessed is the one who finds a friend. Blessed is the one who speaks to attentive listeners. Greatest is the one who finds wisdom, and none is superior to the one who fears the Lord. Blessed is the one who is important, so that when they speak, people listen. Sounds a little bit at first like the Bible Let's look at this a little bit closer. What are the implications? If these are the examples of their highest ideals, held up as the ones whom God favors, 
who, the ones who experience the God is with you, God's presence in their lives. Let's look, let's look at a couple of those as well. Can we put that slide back up just so I can refer to them briefly? Let's look at that last one. Blessed is the one who is important so that when they speak, people listen. You're blessed. God is with you if you're important. People listen to you. Well, let's go back a little bit more. You, don't, you do not serve an inferior. So how do you know you're blessed? How do you know that God's favor is with you? If you don't serve someone who, has a lower, who is in a lower social status than you. Essentially what this beatitude of Jesus Ben Sira is holding up, right? It doesn't really sound like the Jesus we know, right? Blessed is the, the one who sees the downfall of his foes, the successful person who defeats others. So according to this beatitude, how do you know you are blessed by God? If you're a winner, right? If you're a winner. So this is the, these are the ideals. Now this is all important. We spend a little bit of time looking at that because it's important because as we look at Jesus, the gospel Jesus, that we find teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, his original audience was shaped, formed by this type of imagination. The audience that was made up of uneducated fishermen, the poor, the sick, the hurting, insignificant, unimportant people. These are the people who have flocked to Jesus when he announces good news. And the first thing he says to them is this set of nine blessings but these blessings would have been shocking to them. He affirms that these types of people, the types of people he is speaking to, they're the types of people the kingdom of God is being offered to. The unimportant, the poor, the hurting, the marginalized. It's a reversal of the cultural imagination of the day. This is awesome. This is awesome. This Jesus announces blessings to those who have nothing to hold up as an admirable quality of why they should be blessed. Let's throw that first blessing up just as an example. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's important for us to note that this is not a good term, poor in spirit. It's not a condition to which we're to try and attain this is not what Jesus is doing. Jesus is not saying, be this, do this in order to be blessed. What Jesus is doing is so upside down, so brilliant, so shocking that it's so easy for us to miss today unless we understand a little bit of that context. This is what an author by the name of Dallas Willard says. Also, if you want to dig deeper into the Sermon on the Mount, I can't recommend this book by Dallas Willard enough. It's called The Divine conspiracy. And he kind of goes, goes over a little bit this upside down, shocking, brilliant nature of Jesus's teachings about the kingdom of God. I can't recommend that book enough, but this is how Dallas Willard refers to the poor in spirit. He says, they're the spiritual zeros, the spiritually bankrupt, deprived, and deficient, the spiritual beggars, those without a wisp of religion, of religion, this is why it's important for us to understand who this audience Jesus is speaking to is because he begins by blessing those who have no reason to be blessed. 
Jesus's blessings are first and foremost gospel announcement. Not do this and get God's blessing. Jesus's blessings are first and foremost gospel announcement. The, the, the cultural imagination of the day would have said that this group of people who are listening to Jesus's teachings, that who are following Jesus, they were the exact opposite of the type of people who would be blessed by God, according to the ideals. And this is the group, to the group of people that Jesus announced, blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's to this group of people, Jesus announces, God is with you. God is on your side. Jesus announces to the unimportant, the outcast, the poor, the hurting, the losers, the lame, the crazy, the spiritual zeros, God is with you and God is on your side. I love that this is Jesus' introduction into the type of life we are called to live as we choose to follow Jesus. It isn't a list of things to do or accomplish in order to get God's favor. It's an announcement. This is just the way God is. It's an announcement about how God sees us in and through the person of Jesus. It's an announcement that through Jesus, all sorts of people who everyone else considered disqualified from the favor of God, who might have even considered themselves disqualified from God's blessing are now the very ones whom God is inviting into his kingdom with arms wide open. Jesus has some instructions for his followers in the Sermon on the Mount, but he begins with gospel announcement. Isn't this the type of announcement that pulls us to Jesus like a, like a magnet? Like this is the type of person Jesus is. Isn't this the type of person we want to follow? Are we beginning to see how the blessings of Jesus are more than just kind of like feel-good sayings? How they're countercultural, counterintuitive, Upside down, shocking blessings. Shocking blessings. Jesus isn't giving people praiseworthy conditions for themselves that they can lift up and say, Look, that's why I'm blessed. No. He announces that God is on the side of everybody whom there is no reason why God should be on their side. I could say it another way. Bless are all the pathetic wretched sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes. Maybe we could put ourselves in some of these shoes. Alcoholics, thieves, blesses everybody who doesn't believe all the right things. Blessed are the liars. Blessed. The favor of God is now pouring down on and available to all those who don't deserve the favor of God. The blessing isn't for those who have figured it out. The moment we lift up that ideal and think that we received the blessing because it was something we did, we are then rich in spirit. And the announcement isn't for us. Blessed are those who don't know how to pray. Blessed are those who have a hard time 
understanding the Bible. Blessed are those who feel distant from God. Blessed for all of those whom there is no reason they should be blessed. This is the gospel. I think we can understand why this could be threatening to a group of religious people, right? Because we want to say, do this in order to earn God's blessing, earn God's favor. But Jesus starts with an announcement. I'll end with this. Uh, We hear a sermon like this, and we can kind of think, a lot of our reaction is instantly like, well, why? Why does God bless? It's just an announcement of God blessing all sorts of people who shouldn't have God's blessing. Jesus insists all throughout the gospel that this is just how God is. We're like my seven-year-old daughter who asks me why all the time. Why? 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 I do my best at explaining why when I can. A lot of people had this question for Jesus on why God was like this, but he usually doesn't tell stories about that answer, the why. He just kind of paints this picture of God as this gracious, benevolent God who wants to invite as many people as he can into his kingdom. And in Luke 14, he sells a a parable about a banquet. And there's this rich man who he's going to throw a huge banquet. We don't know why he's throwing this huge banquet. And he invites all sorts of people, important people to the banquet, and they all decline. And so he sends people out and he says, go and invite the unimportant, the insignificant, the losers, the pathetic, the lame, the sick, the poor. Invite them to the banquet because I want to throw a party. This is, this is how God is. Bless are the poor in spirit. So maybe we can think of some ways that we, <laughs> we are poor in spirit. Maybe it's we feel disqualified from the blessing of God something we've done or some way we view ourselves or maybe it's something someone else has told us as well. Maybe one of those blessings of the poor in spirit that I read out resonated with you. And I actually think the most beautiful thing that we can do is just let these words of Jesus uh, soak into our lives. It's something I had the opportunity to do this week. I was able to think of something where I might be poor in spirit, something that I felt like God might, uh, something I felt like might disqualify me from the blessing, favor, God is with you, God is on your side. So I'd encourage you to think of something, whatever that might be, this morning. And actually, we're going to have an opportunity for the words of Jesus. I'm going to invite the band up. Um, We're going to have an opportunity for the words of Jesus to be reflected on us, literally, I have a camera set up here. It's not recording you. Don't worry. And if you really, really don't want to be projected onto the screen, uh, you can kind of go to the fringes of the room. (laughs) Uh, But just like Jesus spoke to the crowds, I'm just going to have this as an opportunity where Jesus' words can be reflected on us, put ourselves in the shoes of those whom God wants to announce, blessed to those to whom God has announced the good news of the kingdom of God is open to you through me. And so we're going to have an opportunity to do that. I'm going to pray. The band is going to play. That'll cycle through once. It'll be projected 15, 20 seconds. But let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. 
We thank you that you step into the place in our hearts where we feel most disqualified to experience your presence and your favor, and you announce blessed. You invite us into the presence of God through Jesus. I pray that as we continue in this sermon series, looking at Jesus's words, these red letters in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, that we would experience the life-giving, electric presence of Jesus that has the power to transform us. And you invite us in before we get it all right. And so we we open our lives to you this morning in our insignificance, in all of the ways in which we view ourselves as poor in spirit to receive your blessing. This morning, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus to save the world, not to condemn it. And so we open up our hearts and our lives to you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community. 